Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I am excited to share a conversation I had with Greg Creech, author of The Art of Taking Action, Lessons from Japanese Psychology. And I really think you're going to like this episode because we talk about procrastination, gaining momentum, and then taking action consistently towards where you want to be in terms of your goals, in terms of creating good habits, in terms of making progress on your everyday day-to-day tasks. This is an episode that's going to help you get unstuck and start getting you moving and going places. This week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Greg Creech. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show. So in pre-show dialogue, you corrected me on something, which is I thought you were part of the To Do Institute, but apparently it's the Toto Institute, and it's not T-O-T-O, like the dog in Wizard of Oz. It's (laughs) T-O-D-O. So, you know, spelling was on my side, but not the meaning. So can you enlighten us? What is Toto? Well, the the word Toto is actually a Japanese word, and it actually means uh, Eastern Way. To is Eastern, like Tokyo, um, Eastern city, and Do is like Judo or Kendo, the way, so it means Eastern way. But the word Toto is also a Spanish word that means all or everything. Uh, And of course, it's an English word that's often used at the top of the list that people make in the morning of things they need to do that day. And so all of those three things kind of relate to our work as an organization. I'm really interested to talk to you about taking action, but not just the the actual action of taking action, but maybe some of the the art behind choosing which actions to take, as well as some of the components that you brought up, which are this kind of reflective nature before taking action or, or in, in a combined action. It's almost a, a like maybe a symbiotic relationship, action and reflection. Yeah, I think that... Um there, there is, I can't think, a very elegant kind of cycle to it, you know, where we uh, take action 
and then uh, take the opportunity, not necessarily in some kind of formal way, but take the opportunity to kind of reflect on the action we took. And that then informs essentially the next thing that we need to do. Action is almost a vague word to a lot of people. It's like it could mean anything. It also is something that comes up where we don't know what to do or either we know what needs to be done and we're not doing it or we just don't know what to do. And Mm -hmm. I think people find themselves in that situation often. And that's a great way to frame it. And and interestingly enough, when I give um, presentations to mental health professionals about Japanese psychology, I will often mention in the beginning that probably between 80 and 90% of the people that I've worked with individually, the problem that they have is that they know what they need to do and they're not doing it. And so that's one of the most common situations I think that many of us struggle with, whether it's exercise or diet or we need to leave a relationship or we need to uh, find a new job or career path. We know what we need to do, but we're not doing it. The other 10 to 20 percent is really what you just mentioned, which is uh, we're not really sure what to do. You know, should we stay in this relationship or should we end it? Should we stay in the job or should we take this job offer and move to the West Coast? So um, and those are very important decisions and, and often very difficult uh, problems that, that people face. But but for the vast majority of us, I think we struggle with situations where we know what we need to do and, and we're just not doing it. I think the other problem that comes in with this conundrum is the fact that even once we've decided which action is the right action, deciding isn't doing, but it can feel like it. Particularly if we have really wrestled with a decision for a long time and we finally make that decision, okay, I'm going to put a, a deposit on that house or um, I'm going to submit my resignation. And and often we have a sense that uh, we've actually Uh, done something, but we really haven't. We've just simply had a thought in our head. The world hasn't changed in any way by having that thought. It's when we actually submit that resignation to our boss or write the check and hand it to the real estate agent that we have actually taken some action. So I think it's a really important point that uh, having thoughts and making decisions in our head is a very different uh, situation from actually taking action in the world. You know, one of the things that I've found is that Often the people that are the worst procrastinators are the same people who are the most intelligent. And uh, and the reason is that I think uh, the more intelligent we are, often the more we have the sense that we can figure out life in our mind. And so we can sit back on our couch or lay down in our bed and kind of map out a plan for something. And then once we've got that all mapped out in our head or on paper, then we start to take action. But uh, life can be very complicated. We're faced often with situations that can't be mapped out in this uh, wonderful way where all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Uh, So we can end up spending a tremendous amount of time trying to figure things out in our head. And meanwhile, we're actually not taking any action at all. Well, I've been there. I've done that. (laughs) So so have I. (laughs) I think one of the, the things that a lot of people suffer from, especially people perchance that listen to this show to learn how to be more productive, they disguise their procrastination with being busy. Right. And I think that it's, it's one of the most 
effective strategies if you're trying to put off doing something is to just get busy with doing other things. And so I'm, I'm a writer. And as a writer, um, I'm so familiar with that process because I can get up in the morning with the idea that, okay, I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to make myself some coffee and maybe meditate and do a little exercise. And then I'm going to start writing and working on this piece that I need to be writing. But I end up checking my email and I respond to a couple of emails and I have to make a phone call and I've got to pay a bill. And um, the next thing I know, the, the morning is gone. But I don't feel like I've procrastinated in that same kind of way because uh, I've been busy doing all these things. And they're all things that needed to be done. But in reality, I haven't done the thing that I know I needed to do. And so so it's it's a very tricky, uh, tricky way that uh, we go through life by getting so busy that we don't do the things that we know that we need to do, but we excuse ourselves because we say, oh, but I did all these other things instead. Yeah, well, it alleviates guilt because we feel like, well, I didn't do that one thing, but I did all these other things, so I'm still good, right? <laughs> right, and and often the the other things that we did are things that either uh, are easy Right. Or there are things that we're very comfortable with uh, or there are things that we clearly know how to do. You know, one of the most difficult things is to is to do something that you don't know how to do. Um, I had to uh, change an example being I had to uh, put a headlight bulb in a 2011 Subaru Legacy just the other day because my wife was driving to uh, New York to visit her family. And it, I, I'd never done that in this car before. And I got online, I bought the bulb, I got online, and I'm looking at all these directions and comments. And there are dozens of comments with people putting down profanities at the company for making it this difficult to replace a light bulb, uh, in a low beam light bulb and a headlight. And, and so as, as I'm reading this, I could feel my body kind of tighten up. I could feel the resistance and I could feel how easy it would be to just simply set the bulb down on the counter and I have 50 other things that I can do instead. But of course, the, the problem is that that actually needed to be done. It needed to be done at a time frame because my wife needed the car. So I had to go out and do it. And it, it takes a tremendous, I think, amount of energy uh, to really go into something that you don't know how to do. But those are wonderful projects because those are the things that we actually grow and learn from. I actually know how to do this now. I hope I don't have to do it again for a couple of years, but I actually know how to do this because I struggled with it. And that can be true of learning to play an instrument or learning a foreign language. It's those things that kind of push us outside our comfort zone that really develop us as, as human beings and allow us to grow. But our tendency is to shift our attention and energy towards the things that we're comfortable doing. Um, so often it's it's those tasks that are in that category of, I don't really know what to do here, that end up staying on our to-do list you know, for days or weeks or even months uh, because we gravitate towards the things that we're comfortable with. How do you suggest that we then have the appropriate viewpoint or perspective in order to not procrastinate on those more challenging tasks that we know we need to do? I mean, is it just a matter of perspective change or is there something else to this? Well, I'm going to suggest that there there is something else to it and that it has to do with skill, that we have to make a shift from allowing the criteria for our decisions 
to be our feelings. In other words, what's actually going on inside of us. I feel nervous about doing this. I feel uncomfortable or uh, I have a craving for that piece of chocolate or uh, I really enjoy, you know, going into the city and doing some shopping. So most of us, much of the time, make our decisions based on how we feel about the perspective task or, or effort that we have to make. And that's going to always get us into trouble. And it's to me, it's the core of why most of us pr- procrastinate, is that we're using our feelings as the main criteria for making those choices. And, and the shift that we need to make is to shift from using our feelings to using essentially our purpose. So we shift from a decision based on what's going in, on inside of us to a decision based on what needs to be done in the world. And if what needs to be done is replace a light bulb headlight of a car, then that's what you need to do. And if what needs to be done is to file your income tax return, then that's what you need to do. And when we make that shift, the skill that's involved is the ability to coexist with uncomfortable feelings while we're taking action. So a lot, I think, of the Western psychological strategy for making this kind of change and doing things that we're uncomfortable or anxious about uh, is is kind of psyching ourselves up, right? We get we want to calm down. We want to get ourselves to feel confident. We use self-talk. Uh, and what I'm suggesting, which really comes from uh, something called Marita therapy in Japanese psychology, is that uh, we allow those inner feelings and thoughts to be what they are. And we learn the skill of coexisting with those feelings and thoughts while we take action that needs to be done based on essentially what needs to be done around us. When I say it's a skill, what I mean is that it's actually something that we can practice and get better at. We can uh, practice, uh, for example, if we were talking, let's say, about food is such a wonderful example of an example of almost anything (laughs) in life. Yes. Um, So, you know, you open the door to your refrigerator. I do. and, And the first thought that comes to my mind is, what do I feel like eating? Right. But um, what I feel like eating and what needs to be eaten are completely different questions. Right. One is what needs to be eaten is a question of purpose. What I feel like eating is a question of how I'm feeling at the moment. And if I'm always making that decision based on how I'm feeling, um, my diet is going to go up and down from uh, healthy to unhealthy or eating things that have a lot of calories and fat to eating things that are good for me. But if I can make those decisions most of the time based on my purpose, I have a much more consistent, stable framework for grabbing what needs to be eaten in the refrigerator. And I think that's true about life in general, and it's true about selecting what it is that that we need to do. And I'm going to suggest that that's actually a skill. And the more often we can go to the refrigerator and eat according to our purpose, the better we get at it. So that uh, when we have a craving, we know that we don't have to simply be reacting to that craving because we've had examples in the past where we were able to see that piece of chocolate cake and and not eat it. Uh, I used to run a Marita therapy group in Washington, D.C. 25 years ago when I was first starting out doing this work. And one of the things we would do is uh, we'd have a group of seven or eight people, let's say, or 10 people, and we'd, I'd have a couple of chocolates that I put on a plate, really nice, dark chocolate, and I'd pass it to the first person, and I would say, you know, just take a moment and look at this chocolate. You can smell it if you want, and then 
tell me what your feelings and thoughts are. And maybe the first person would say, well, I love chocolate. And what I'm thinking is, I would love to be able to have one of these little pieces of chocolate or more. And um, I'm feeling this strong craving, um, you know, and desire to eat a piece of chocolate. And I would say, that's great. And here's the plate. And please don't eat any chocolate and just pass it on to the next person. But somebody in the group might say, you know, I had a big dinner. I actually don't, I'm not a chocolate person. I don't like chocolate that much. And then I would say, that's great. And so could you please eat a piece of chocolate? So whatever their feelings and thoughts were, I would ask them to do the opposite. And uh, when we do that, what happens is we begin to develop the capacity not to simply react to our internal experience, our feelings and our thoughts, and instead to be able to have that pause and look at what is it that I need to do here according to my purpose or according to what needs to be done in this particular situation. And, and that's the skill, I think, that basically is at the core of overcoming procrastination. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond this is a fascinating idea to me. And I'm wondering whose purpose it is in life to eat chocolate because I want that person's life. And it's different for each of us, right? The kind of test that makes us make us uncomfortable or we when we think about doing a particular thing, we feel anxious, let's say speaking in a public making a public presentation. It stimulates anxiety or fear. Um, for some people, writing, a lot of writers write, get writer's block and, and they want to write, but they basically either don't sit down to write or they do and they just kind of stare at their computer screen. 
the skill is actually the capacity to feel what we're feeling, to even have the thoughts we're having, but to respond to the needs of the situation rather res- than responding to our internal experience of feelings and thoughts. And uh, example of this is in my own life. Uh, before I ever learned this material, I remember when I was about 22 years old and I had moved to the Washington DC area. I had my first solo apartment. I had an entire apartment all to myself with no roommates. And uh, and after a couple of weeks, I was making some dinner and I the dinner was ready and I went to put it on a plate and I noticed that I didn't have any plates because they were all dirty and piled up into the sink with the cups and the forks and everything else. And uh, it's because I never really felt like washing the dishes. So every time I would see this stack of dishes, I would just kind of have an aversion to it. And I would just have the thought, I'll just do it later. And so I reached a point where I didn't actually have any clean dishes because I was always responding to my feelings. And one one of the classic examples of what happens when we do that is the more that we have that kind of reaction to our feelings of of aversion and putting something off, the next time often the reaction is even stronger, right? So the more you procrastinate about something, the more likely you're going to procrastinate about it later. And uh, so here my dinner was ready and I had this dilemma. So like any self-respecting young bachelor, I just went to a convenience store and bought paper plates at that time. (laughs) That's how I solved my problem. Eventually I did have to wash those dishes, which um, there was a dishwasher right next to the sink. So it's hard to imagine how I let that happen. But it, again, uh, for many of us, uh, we're not taught this in school. You know, we're taught academic subjects and we're, we learn how to function socially, but there is no course usually in how to get things done or how to not procrastinate or how to develop the skill of doing things even when we don't feel like it. And, uh, it's a wonderful skill to develop when you're young because it will save you tremendous amounts of not just time, but suffering as you get older. Now, I know you also talk about this idea behind making the task bearable, and I wonder, how does that relate to training yourself to be able to still do the task even when you don't want to? Well, there are, there are tasks that you have to do, and you have to do the whole thing right away. If, you, if you're having a dinner party, you're having people over, uh, and they're coming over in two hours, you and your house is a mess, you're probably going to need to spend the next two hours cleaning your house, or you can just leave it as it is and have people come over if you want to. But a lot of what we need to do are things that we can do in small segments. And there's a one of the approaches to Japanese psychology that I teach is something called Kaizen. And Kaizen was initially developed in post-World War II in order to help Japan rebuild its manufacturing and and industry after it was decimated by the war. And we actually sent uh, someone over there, an American by the name of Edward Deming, uh, who who developed this approach that became known as Kaizen. And it had, so it started actually in an organizational setting, in fact, in an industrial setting, but it had to do with taking small steps, but taking them on a continuous basis. And I think it's one of the most brilliant ways to kind of move forward on projects where we are procrastinating, where we're putting things off, where we can't get started, or we've gotten started, but we've we've basically hit a roadblock and we're just not making any progress. And Kaizen is really about uh, scheduling and committing yourself 
to do things in very small increments. So if I if I'm going to start writing a novel, for example, which is one of the projects I hope to start this fall, then instead of saying, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set aside a weekend and I'm going to get up early and I'm just going to spend the entire weekend getting started on this novel. And that's, of course, a huge effort. And it it sends alarms off in my system, in my emotional system, the idea that I'm going to be faced with that. But if I just commit to, I'm going to get up Saturday morning and I'm going to commit to writing for 10 minutes, or I'm going to commit to writing the the first line of the first chapter of my novel, one line, right? And, and once I fulfill that commitment, I can stop. I don't have to stop, but I can stop. And so writing for 10 minutes, writing one line are things that most of us um, aren't as afraid of as trying to spend a whole weekend working on your novel or any. It could be renovating your house. It could be any kind of project that you have coming up. Uh, But the idea is that if you do that and you do it every day, you start creating momentum. And I'm going to suggest to your listeners that the, the value of momentum, the value of developing that daily habit of whether it be writing, exercising, working with your drinking a green smoothie for your diet, whatever it is, that that momentum initially is more valuable than the progress you make on the task. Because eventually it will just become habitual and you'll be you'll sit down and this is what often happens, not just to me, but but people that I've uh, have been in my courses, for example, is you sit down and you have your 10 minute commitment, let's say, to work on your dissertation um, and the 10 minutes go by and, and you've got a kind of in a flow and you end up working on it for 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half. Um, and that's wonderful because you can go as long as you want to go, but your commitment is for those 10 minutes. So one of the ways to make something bearable is to just take a small step, schedule a time to do it, and make it so small that it it really isn't very uh, anxiety-producing. But do something every day. And if you do that over a period of time, you not only make progress, but you get this momentum, and pretty soon uh, you don't have that same inner experience, emotional experience of um, shying away or feeling that aversion towards working on that project. In a sense, it's almost like gaining momentum is getting comfortable or habitual with action in the same way that when you're feeling opposition emotionally to an action, which may cause you to procrastinate, you train yourself gradually to be okay with having those feelings, but still doing the work anyway. That's right. And if, and if we're facing a five-minute commitment as opposed to an all-day-long commitment, the intensity of those feelings in most cases is going to be much more limited. So if we think of it as practice, right, it's, it's, uh, um, it's kind of like uh, we have a young child and we're trying to teach him to shoot free throws in basketball. So we start by lowering the basket and letting him shoot from five feet away instead of at the free throw line. But gradually, right, as they start getting good at that, they start backing up and the basket starts getting raised. Um, And so it's the same kind of thing that that we develop our momentum and and we develop our confidence not through self-talk, but through actual success, the actual success of doing something in the face of discomfort. In other words, you get a quick win. You feel like you, you, you build the momentum so that you can then move 
partially with the momentum and it's not all of you yourself and your willpower that's required to to keep acting and underneath that win is that actual skill development it's that that uh, opportunity to see a piece of chocolate on the plate take the plate and pass it to the next person without eating it and by the way i'm not suggesting we should never eat chocolate <laughs> just 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 to be clear about that um what i am suggesting is that we should have the the freedom to make a choice about whether we're going to eat a piece of chocolate or not. And when we're essentially always responding to our inner feelings or our thoughts, we don't have that freedom. We don't have that opportunity to make that choice. We're, we're almost like a slave to our emotional experience. But so we get tr- tremendous freedom by essentially exercising self-discipline, by developing the muscle of self-discipline. It opens up a world of choice to us that we don't have otherwise. And I, I constantly think of people out there who are using this word uh, hustle. And to me, that implies action, but it's more like frantic movement that's not necessarily focused. But I think what you're suggesting is that action really should be more of a paced or sustained movement forward that's on purpose in according to our purpose. Yes, I think that the purpose piece is really, I think, one of the cornerstones of uh, Morita therapy of Japanese psychology is is that shift to being more purpose centered. Um, but the other thing that really distinguishes this this psychological approach is that uh, it's very it's very difficult to make rules. So, for instance, we can talk about doing this in a very methodical or sustained sustained way. But sometimes we're faced with a situation where we do have to move quickly and we do have to act fast. It's pouring rain outside and you get up in the morning, you go downstairs and, and there's water pouring in through your foundation. And uh, then you actually do have to move quickly. So the idea here, the, the measure that I, I teach people is that our response needs to be uh, a response to the needs of the situation if the situation allows us to be methodical and focused and precise, that's wonderful. We can do that. And if the situation requires an, an immediate, quick, fast uh, kind of response because it's uh, an emergency, for example, uh, then we have to do that. So the idea is that the our response isn't dictated by what's going on inside us. It's dictated by the needs of the situation around us. I really like that idea that if fast action is required, that it's okay to do that. It's, it's okay to act quickly. Uh, and let's maybe talk a little bit about the reflection side of things. I think by reflecting on past actions or future actions often enough that potentially then you're able to decide quickly when something is an urgent matter that you have to act with a swift response. Right. And so the method of self-reflection that uh, I teach, again, from Japan is called Nikon. And uh, it's, it's a word that actually means something like looking inside. And I got involved in this uh, about 29 years ago, I think. Uh, I went to Japan and I spent two weeks in a center that in which I uh, reflected on my entire life, uh, as far back as I can remember to when I was a young child up until the present day. Um, basically sitting on a cushion in a room and facing a blank wall about 16 hours a day. That's all I did. Um, and it was a tremendous, very intense experience, but it also gave me a way of understanding and seeing what my life had been like 
that completely changed my view of, of my own life and, and of the people that had been in my life. And so uh, that reflection is very structured, and there are three questions that it uses. And the first question is, what did I receive from others? The second question is, what did I give to others? And the third question is, what trouble and difficulty did I cause others? And it's an interesting question to look at from a standpoint of tasks and productivity. So at the end of your day, if you were to spend let's say 20 minutes as you're about to go to bed and you were to use those three questions to just simply reflect on your day. What did I receive today from others? What did I give? What troubles and difficulties did I cause? Uh, the first question, what did I receive is a kind of classic gratitude journal question. And you'll see that particularly in, in the field of positive psychology, it's, it's a uh, much more common now than it was 25 years ago to have people kind of do that type of reflection as a way of, developing more of a sense of appreciation for their life and, and people around them. Um, the second question really is the uh, kind of the debit and credit question, right? So here's what I received. Now, what did I give to others? And that has a lot to do with productivity uh, because it has to do with what did you do that actually benefited others? Um, there's, you may do a lot of things in the day, but if, if it only benefited yourself, then when you look at that list and you realize that you think, boy, I was pretty selfish today. I can't, I can't find much or anything that I did that actually was uh, for the benefit of others. Um, and then finally, the third question is the most difficult, which is what troubles and difficulties did I cause others? And one of the ways that we cause trouble and difficulties to others is by not doing the things that we need to do that other people expect from us or that we've committed to doing, right? Every day I do this, there's always something on my list where I didn't get back to this person, I didn't have this done in time, and it's a way of causing trouble and difficulties to, to other people. And, and what I found is that some of the most uh, promising energy for us changing comes from actually realizing the impact that we're having on people around us as opposed to having on ourselves. For example, uh, people can go for years with failing to buckle up their seatbelts when they get in the car and then they have a baby and now they're a parent and suddenly they buckle up their seatbelts every day or people are smokers for years and they have a child and suddenly they stop smoking. And so often we're more motivated out of compassion for others than we are out of concern for ourselves. So when we look at the trouble that we're causing by not doing the things we need to be doing, often that has a stronger influence on our taking action than if we're just disappointing ourselves. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can I can identify with that. I mean, I know that when I became a parent, I started driving a whole lot more safely. Mm -hmm. Not that I was like swerving all over the road or anything, but it's just that extra awareness of, oh, I'm not the only one that this is going to matter to. It's also not, it's not just about me. It's about everybody else as well. Yeah. So I think it, it opens up our eyes to uh, the impact of our not, not taking action, the impact that that has on, on uh, other people around us, people we work with, our family, our children, our partner. There's not too many things that I procrastinate about that don't have some kind of impact on those people in my life. And, uh, um, and here's an example where when I see that, I actually feel bad. And feeling bad is actually a healthy response to doing things that are causing someone else suffering, right? If I do something that causes 
problems or suffering for someone I care about and I feel bad about that, that's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling in the sense that it's coming from this place of wanting to be a good parent, a good husband, a good uh, worker within my business, my organization. So that type of reflection often is the kind of reflection that uh, informs uh, the choice of the things that we do, the sequence in which we do them, uh, the energy and commitment that we put into them, and whether we even do them at all. So I've got a, this afternoon, I've got to call um, the university where my daughter is starting college in Chicago and, and pay her tuition bill. And she's kind of counting on me to do that. And so um, even though I don't feel like doing it, um, it's something that I have to do because that's the needs of the situation. And if I didn't do it, of course, I would really be letting her down and and she would have problems, of course. I know one of the other things that can cause inactivity, and I think this does tie into what we were talking about earlier, where we, we really just don't feel like doing the thing that we need to do. And it's this idea of stress, that stress can cause inactivity as well. Ultimately, stress to me seems like it's a multiplier or a magnification of that, you know, whether it's coming from the same place as our emotions or not, uh, that it can cloud our judgment or ability to follow through even with those extra feelings of avoidance. Yeah, and I think that in modern culture now, one of the things that happens is that uh, – when, when we have a, a job or our life is basically filled with stress coming at us from different places uh, and you know, we finally get, get back home and it's the end of the day and we develop a habit of just kind of wanting to hide from life and we zone out with our uh, cell phones, with Netflix, with the TV, with surfing the internet and social media, right? And we can spend you know, hours Um, on those things, which in many cases aren't very productive, and they're not things that are going to really have a healthy impact on our life. But but often, I think that's a response to just uh, the level of stress that we have in our life, that that we look for some way to escape, right, from that feeling of discomfort that that comes with that stress. But, of course, what, what would be a great thing to do when we're in that situation would be, for example, to exercise, to go for a jog for a half an hour, to ride your bike, to go for a swim, to, to do some uh, workout with weights, to do something that actually gets us physically active, which um, I remember reading recently uh, a study that said that from a standpoint of both physical health and mental health, if there's a magic pill in this world today, it's exercise. It just has positive benefits all over. So um, so the thing that we actually should be doing when we're under stress is probably doing something physical that gives us some kind of physical activity. But, but again, we gravitate uh, towards doing things that are very passive, um, but that don't actually help us move forward in our life in any kind of uh, developmental way or, or in terms of progress on our goals. It, what's interesting is, is that uh, unpacking this, though, and really knowing the root cause of these things that cause us to procrastinate and not take action. One is is feelings. Another is is stress. Another is not really knowing what our purpose is or or what our what uh, what the impact of our actions are. Uh, that all of these come together, though. But once we sit down and you know do the homework, I don't know that that's my phrase for sit down and really like unpack this all for yourself, get to know yourself. Uh, but once we do this, we can find that uh, the actions and the momentum can flow. 
Yes, and I think it's great to understand, to listen to our discussion here, and and if people have a sense that maybe this resonates or makes sense, that's wonderful. But what I probably what probably most people will find is that um, you can read my book, or you can read twenty other books that explain this, and you can um, study and analyze this intellectually, and it won't change anything one iota (laughs) in other words ultimately we train ourselves through training so if you're trying to learn to play the piano you can you can read 20 books on playing the piano and you can understand everything about chords and harmony and the circle of fifths and all kinds of music theory but you won't be able to play mary had a little lamb until you actually sit down and, and try to play it. And so that's really the message I give to to my students and, and people I work with, is that um, you learn to take action by taking action. That's right? what I was, I, not, that, yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Is It sounds like you're saying, in order to learn how to take action, we need to take action. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when we come to accept that and we realize that this isn't something we develop through insight, through understanding, through intellect, um, it's okay to understand the building blocks uh, of all of this. But ultimately, if we want to strengthen our capacity to do the things that are important for us to do in our life, then we have to do that through an actual practice. And that practice in this case is is taking action. There's a journal that I edit that has the name of uh, 30,000 Days. It's called 30,000 Days a journal for purposeful living. And we gave it that name because 30,000 days is roughly the number of days that people in Western society, you and I, have to live, right? And so when I do a workshop, uh, the first thing that we do is I have people calculate how many days they have left to live. And uh, we actually get out calculators or they get out their phones and you figure out how many days you've already lived. And then you subtract that from 30,000, and that gives you your number. Now, of course, that's that's not the real number, probably. But what it does is it makes it immediately very obvious that you're, the number of days you have left to live is finite, whether it's a little bit more or a little bit less. It's a limited number of days. And so we start with this idea of what what do we want to do with our life that's really important, that's that's meaningful, right? And and we move from there into, I think, taking action and, and setting goals and having a purpose. But um, it's done in the context of recognizing that we have limited time um, on this planet. And if we're here to do something that's meaningful or important or make a contribution to the world, um, we start with that and then we have to figure out how do we make sure that we actually are, are making time for that in our busy lives? So the context of this to me is always death. The context is always that we have a recognition that we're not going to live forever. And so we always have to weigh our to-do list against what's really important in this larger context of I have limited time to live. And when we when we set that context, I think it actually informs choices that we make about things that we're going to do on a daily basis. That's a great place to to land, I think. Greg, it's been awesome talking with you. I'd love for you to share where can people find out more about the work that you are doing? In terms of specifically taking action, uh, my book is called The Art of Taking Action, Lessons from Japanese Psychology, and they can find that on Amazon. Uh, I have our organization has a website. It's the todoinstitute.org. So it's T O D O as in to do 
and the word institute, all one word, dot O-R-G. And that also has the, I teach online courses throughout the year. Um, so it has a list of the courses that I teach. And if your listeners can contact me through our website, I'd be glad to uh, have the, we can send them a complimentary copy of our 30,000 days publication. Great. Awesome. Well, I will put the links to all of these things in the show notes for this episode. And uh, again, Greg, thanks for coming on the show and talking about this with us. Well, thank you, Eric. It's, it's really been a pleasure having this discussion. It seems like time really flew by. <laughs> um, I can't believe that we've been, we've been speaking that long, but uh, it's, it's really been great speaking with you. And, and I wish you all the luck in the world in terms of continuing your work with the show, which I think has helped uh, just so many people in terms of giving them a way to think about how to move forward with their lives and get really important things done. So again, you know, thanks, thanks for the work you're doing in terms of the show. Awesome. Thank you very much. So I'm curious to see how you enjoyed this conversation with Greg, because I know that I did. It got me thinking in terms of consistency and honestly just getting over myself or getting myself out of my own way. And this conversation really ties into, again, some of the more recent conversations when it comes to making progress and finishing goals. Like my conversation with John Acuff, if you have an issue with procrastination or gaining momentum or just learning how to take action and you know someone else who does, consider sharing this episode with them and let them know about this conversation and Greg's book. I think it may really help you. Again, don't forget to check out the sponsor for this episode, Upside.com. If you go to Upside.com and use my code to-do You'll get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com. There is a minimum purchase required, and you need to see the site for the complete details. But go check that out for their six-star treatment and their navigators who are accessible 24-7 to help you. Thanks again, Upside, for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. And thanks to you for listening, and I will see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews. So you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.